Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Special. Hello. What's happening? <laughs> Not much, man. Same old, same old, sort of. Same old, same old, sort of. <laughs> Which means it ain't same old, same old. <laughs> no. What happened at the start of last week's episode? Just before we started recording. You spilled beer? No, that was today. That oh, was today as well, yeah. <laughs> what happened just before we started recording? You said pull my finger. No, I I I, I did that. Yeah, Kermit the Frog. Oh, you yeah, you hurt your shoulder. That's right. Yeah, because you're old. I it's something. I pulled something in it. It's been bugging me all week. <laughs> Loser. I can't sleep on my right side. I can't. Uh, well, I'm getting better at first. So right there was the highest I could lift. See this one. You can go up. This one here. Right there. That's as far as I can go. That hurts right there. So for all those that are listening to what he's <laughs> telling you to look at. So I'm showing Sean. You guys can all imagine it went up. It went up uh, about five or ten degrees above the uh, horizontal plane for my shoulder. So uh, the other one I can go up about mm, 50 degrees. Wow. Nerd! <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? Uh, all I did was that the Kermit the Frog dancing arm side to side and I just threw something out in my shoulder. <laughs> Dude, you're it's, at the age where you sneeze or fart wrong and you're throwing out your back. I know. But yeah, it's been burning all week. It's like, oh, it burns. Like the, I, I pulled something. Yes. I pulled something in it. It it hurts a little bit. It's not a lot. I'm, it's not not a lot. To, it's an anecdote. It's not worth complaining about, but it's like. But here we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm relating an event that describes my age of vacation. Well, it's not to complain about, but here, let me tell you about this. I'm telling you an anecdote. It's different. It's not the same as complaining. It's an anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'm getting very old. As one does. <laughs> and that's my good shoulder. <laughs> oh good shoulder. So when it was in its prime, where to go? If, if your other one goes to fifty, what did this? Did this one? Could you like touch your toes on the other side from around the back of your head? Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Wrap it twice around your head. Yeah. Oh, you, it's a shame. You, you got to watch your shoulders. Yeah. Don't your knees. do Kermit the Frog cheering. Yeah. No more Kermit the Frog for you, Mister. You've had enough. I didn't think of it till I till we sat down and started recording. But what I intended on doing is is getting a small YouTube clip of clip of uh, Kermit cheering and saying, "Do remember this?" So <laughs> you've hurt your head with concussions. Yes, multiple. You've times. now hurt your shoulders. Mm-hmm. How are your knees? They're pretty good. Really? Because yeah. that's next, right? Head, shoulders, say, knees yeah. and toes, knees and toes. Well, I hurt. My Achilles tendon when we were in Ottawa with uh, with West Hansen and and uh, Rebecca and uh, remember we were pushing off on the scooters. Oh right! All that yeah. constant and and West scooter. hurt his. It was Achilles a scooter tendon. accident. Yeah, West <laughs> hit, hurt his Achilles tendon as well. So that still bothers me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you're a nerd <laughs> well when every time we left because the what the remember the scooters were geofenced yeah so as soon as you left where you're allowed to be the battery turned off yeah so you had to push and you're pushing until you had we circled back through the city trying to find where the geofence started again rebecca kept pulling up on her phone saying oh no we have to go a couple blocks this way and <laughs> yeah well at least you didn't almost run people over did you almost run people over? Well, you almost got taken over by a bus. You almost got run over by a bus. Oh, I was didn't gonna, you? Well, I, it was a really didn't get run over by it. It was like that bus better get out of my way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I almost in quotations accidentally ran over yeah. those people. <laughs> out of my way, losers! <laughs> oh, and I saw that uh, uh, West, uh, he posted pictures of the trip. He's been posting a lot of pictures. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it shows us in Ottawa with him yeah. in, on his posting. So yeah. that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Mm. But yeah, it's nice pictures. Like the, some of the locations he's been and Like there's the boneyards that they stopped by and were checking yep. out. and. And it's like it was. It's pretty cool. Some of the stuff that they that they did see on their rather shortened trip due to weather. Yeah, but he's learned a lot. He said, "Yes, for next they're year. already shopping for a new kayaks, so yeah. they want a different model. They have a better idea for what kayak to use. They've learned. I wonder. 
Now, I'm, now this is just me speculating. We haven't even talked about this yet, but I'm wondering if one of the things he's considered is the, the direction. Like his sound, his reasoning for going east to west makes sense because you're starting high and ending low latitude-wise. And so as you get closer to your destination, if he was to go west to east, you're heading north. And mm-hmm. so you're you're several uh, levels of magnitude higher north, and so when, you, when towards the end of the season in October, when when winter's coming, it's uh, it's much worse. So their plan is to be further south towards Tuktoyaktuk at the end of their route, right? And so it's it later in the season, but they're also further south. So it makes sense. But I wonder what other lessons he's learned. I wonder if he's going to lay it out or he's going to discuss it at any point. So, but it was really interesting to see because they. they Unfortunately, the uh, the weather was rough. They had really rough water, and Rebecca was getting uh, motion sick and so on, and, and then she had to leave, and then they had... Remember how they showed us how they're going to... What is it? Uh, the Navy Navy Inlet? Or Navy... Whatever, the Navy Sound? So they were going to try and cross that, but because mm-hmm. the weather was so bad, they had to skirt the coast all the way south, and they were just... They were just getting so far off their own track, but they couldn't cross. And because extra it was so layover rough. days. And, yeah. Yeah. So they were just losing days upon days. And so it became a safety, con- it was a safety concern. And plus the, they just, they were running out of time. They knew they weren't going to make the time if they continued on their progress at that, at that level. Yeah. Well, there comes a point where you just got to call it, right? Yeah. Um, and the one thing that you can't plan for mm-hmm. is the weather. Exactly. They could go up yeah. next year. It could be absolutely beautiful the mm-hmm. entire time. Yeah. They go up next year. It could be even worse than this year. Yes. You don't know till you get on that water. Mm-hmm. Right? I, but I, I mean, they were even held up at the beginning a, a few I know. days. Because yeah, because the they're windbound. Yeah. 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 So I got two of the names. So what's West? Jeff. Jeff. Jeff Wiesty. Jeff Wiesty, Rebecca Feaster, and, uh, and West Hansen. Yeah. yeah. So good luck to them next year. Yeah. Um, what do we got to talk about? Oh, speaking of speculated. <laughs> yes, the exploding cans of beer. <laughs> yeah, Old Speckle Hen. That's our beer of choice this week. Yeah. And as Derek opened his and it foamed all over the place, Sean I was, was giggling and laughing and pointing. <laughs> yeah. I opened mine and it went all over the place. <laughs> and and I managed to uh, to recover most of it by uh, eating the foam. But uh, you coughed on yours and then it just... I was laughing at you while I was trying to <laughs> suck up the foam and I choked. <laughs> yeah, his mouth pad's soaking wet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at least it's on mouth pad, not on my... Yeah. Not on my awesome colored yeah. tablecloth. Yeah, it's, it's, I've got a wet spot there that I, every time <sighs> I lean into it, my elbows get wet. <sighs> I just can't take you anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Hey, um, I found this little story. Now, I don't know if this is just a Canadian thing. How many people know this beyond Canada? Oh, tra- travel to sea, journey film, to sea. film, Paddle to the Sea. Uh, that was Put out in late 60s, early 70s. Yes, and you'll find it, I think, on National Film Board, right? It's on the National Film Board of Canada website. It's about 27 minutes long. Uh, it's about this uh, little indigenous kid that he carves this um, canoe yeah. with, uh, with a little man, with in, a little it. Man a man in it. And they put lead in the bottom to make sure it stays balanced and stays upright no matter what happens. And he puts it in the snow north of Nipigon. Mm-hmm. In Ontario. And when it's the spring comes and the snow melts, down it goes into the river and it follows all these rivers. It goes on these journeys. It dog gets it and the kid catches it with a fishing mm-hmm. rod and the ships run it over. And, but it makes it all the way out to the ocean where like housekeeper finds it at the uh, mouth of James, or, uh, uh, St. Lawrence Seaway. He mm-hmm. takes it, he repaints it all and then puts it back in the water. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's been a while since I saw that. I forget yeah, the details. I've seen that so many times. <laughs> well, we used to watch it in school. Like, they yeah. used to play that in school, right? I remember seeing short clips of it on commercial breaks on CBC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. CBC yeah. would play that yes. and, and yeah. whatnot. So, there's a fella, Jason Malinsky. Uh, him and his grandsons launched a pint-sized canoe into Manitoba's Red River in May 2021. This Now, this, this canoe is about... I'd say at least two feet long. Were they inspired by the original? Yes. 
They were inspired yes. by it. Okay. Yes, he was. Uh, he, they, they made this canoe. They did the whole thing, making sure it flips, stays upside right. He's hoping to track its journey along the northbound current to Lake Winnipeg, but instead their little wooden canoe vanished. After nearly 16 months, a muddied and gnawed river gypsy was found embedded in the riverbank about two and a half kilometers south of St. Jean-Baptiste, Manitoba. Uh, Malinsky drove up to retrieve the hand-carved canoe after getting a call from a farmer, Pierre Sabourin. So you're figuring, wow, that's... How far did that go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, about 35 kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't, didn't go all that far. Uh, he says, I was surprised after lasting a winter. I thought it would, f- the freeze-thaw cycle and everything like that, you know, the paint would be peeling. But it's actually in good shape, he says. He went to the riverbank where you could still see the shape of the canoe in the mud. Mal- uh, Malinsky's grandsons, aged 11 and 9, were elated and very, very surprised by the news that the vessel had been found. We kind of told them, you know, we may never see it again. But, so they, so they says, the trio set the boat afloat as a nod to one of Malinsky's favorite books. Yeah, because I keep forgetting it was actually a book before a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in it, a boy releases a small canoe with a figure inside into Lake Nipigon, just north of Thunder Bay, Ontario, to travel to the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, he says he's read it as a child and always wanted to do something similar. And then at the age of 68, he did. A retired carpenter, he spent a month carving the boat with two seated figures, a little each day, and I had balanced it so that it doesn't matter which way it ends up in the water, it will always come right side up. If it's floating upside down, how's anybody going to notice it? Between the figures is a secured lid that says, Remove Screws. And so he, he and his grandsons could plot locations on a map and the note asking the finder to return the canoe to the river, right? So they would yeah. undo the screws, take a little thing yeah. off, wrote where they found it, put it back in. And his uh, contact info was in there so they could email him, I guess, or call him and say, hey, I'm from. Yeah, so like an ancient form of GPS, word of mouth. Yeah. Uh, it was launched in Emerson, just north of the U.S. border, about 30 kilometers south of St. Jean-Baptiste. First report came on May 30th, almost 10 kilometers to the north. Then the findings dried up like the river itself. So one... <laughs> two people. Two people reported it. <laughs> two people. Uh, he happened to launch the boat at the start of extreme years. It was put in during a drought that left many rivers running at a trickle. The next year thought uh, brought heavier snow and incessant rains that led to severe flooding. He says, I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess, he says. After the flood, in all honesty, it could have been anywhere. <laughs> the Red River, which is known for its flooding. Yes, yes. In yes. spring of 2022, spread out 10 kilometers wide for a stretch of 40 kilometers between Emerson and and Morris. So we could have floated 10 kilometers away from the actual river. Exactly. At that point, uh, yeah, right? It could be in the middle of a farmer's field. Well, funny you should mention. He found the river Gypsy just this September mm-hmm. on his way home. Uh, sorry, his home is one of the, the few between Emerson and Morris built near the river. Otherwise, it's just uh, pure farmland, right? Yeah. So he's walking around, checking out stuff. And he says, I thought it was a toy from the flood that floated away from the dump grounds. Then I saw the little people and thought, that's not normal. Somebody made this. He opened it and saw the last reported find was May 30th, 2021. That's a long time from <laughs> May yeah. 2021. Well, I guess that's that, over a year. Oh, those floods, though. He just yeah. pushed it into a field, so it stayed there. He surmised that wedged. He surmised that wedged in other branches, the canoe was secured during spring thaw and ice breakup, but floated loose when floodwaters came. They believe the boat had encounters they can only speculate about, and that was the whole point of the the paddle to the sea. Is the boy that launched it had no clue what adventures the boat would have? Yes, and all the things in the movie that you see happening to to the boat, right? Uh, it has chew marks on it, like maybe a beaver <laughs> got a hold of it or something. Maybe he got a hold of it and put it in the brush pile uh, as part of its house, stuffed it in among the willows that it had there. 
after it disappeared in 2021, he walked the riverbank from Everson, Emerson to L'Atelier, about 16 kilometers, scouting for the boat. It wasn't anywhere to be found, but there was plenty of beaver dams. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have our suspects. So Mr. Beaver was, <laughs> if he could read and write and undo screws. Yeah, he would have reported <laughs> it, yeah. Uh, he says, maybe it caught the eye of another animal, maybe a bear who pulled it from the water for a closer look. Noting the person who found it May 2021 said it was more than a meter from the water. Oh, so it already is. So something had already pulled it out of the water at that point. With freeze up only a couple months away, he says he's going to keep the river Gypsy in dry dock this winter, and it may not go back at all. The Odyssey might belong to a river Gypsy too. Oh, the newer version. Mm-hmm. Something sleeker, faster. He's considered carving a slightly larger version, so it's going to be like three feet. <laughs> uh, that could carry an embedded GPS tracker. Not only would he be able to track it, it would be easier for people to spot. We would still like people to find it and let us know. It's kind of like a treasure hunt. They're part of the journey, and that's what this is all about. He also plans to skip a... Tightly winding and reed-filled section of the river based on advice from Saborin and relaunch north of Morris. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so choked with stuff that um, it's just going to end up there, so it'll make it 35, 40 kilometers away from home. He <laughs> <laughs> says, we didn't do our homework from Emerson to Morris. Experience is the best teacher. Ultimately... Malinsky would love to see his little canoe make it to Lake Winnipeg and then on to the Nelson River, which drains the lake and runs 644 kilometers to Hudson Bay. It would be something even if it got to the northern tip of Lake Winnipeg, if it got to Norway House or some settlement along there. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah. As long as you get yeah. it over the river and then you start getting it up there. Right? Yeah. It's just like people throwing bottles into Lake Ontario and... Hoping to see where they end up, and you know, you, you see, you've heard people across the ocean throwing bottles and hope they make exactly yeah. to another country, yeah. sort mm-hmm. of thing, right? Yeah, same sort of thing. But if you can get, uh, and honestly, it's uh, like a geocache sort of thing, right? <clears throat> Write your name and yeah. let us know where you found it. Sort of. And thing. a lot of people do stuff like this. It's kind of interesting, like in back in previous times, like people would throw bottles in the ocean and, and just once in a while you'll hear about a bottle that's been lost for a hundred years and then somebody dug it out of a beach and it's like, hey, there's a note in here from somebody from like 1898 yeah. or something, right? And uh, so you hear about it, there's uh, one of the stories that came up in my mind is uh, there's these uh, two uh, Canadian professors, they built what they called Hitchbot, you might have heard about it. So Hitchbot, these, these two... Uh, these two professors, uh, they built this robot, and and they uh, sent this robot. It, it's based completely on people's help. So they they put it on a corner somewhere. Somebody finds it, picks it up, takes it somewhere. Apparently, this thing made it all the way across Canada, Europe, and Germany, the Netherlands. It's just a short, stocky little bucket with legs and arms, LED lights. And uh, so it made it across Europe, across Canada, and, and, uh, and then it... Uh, Got hung up in Philadelphia where somebody ripped its arms and legs off and smashed it on the side of the highway. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> don't hitchhike in Philadelphia. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Especially if you're yeah. a robot. But, like, there, there was like, it went on tour with a rock band and uh, it went to a Boston, Boston Red Sox games. It uh, was in Amsterdam, did float, it, it, it ran through the canals with uh, somebody on the boat. It was a heavy metal band. It, it, did, it did a lot until. Until it made it to Philadelphia. The mean streets of Philadelphia. See, that's... <laughs> that's what... That's why we can't have nice things. I know, right? People I like know. that. <clears throat> but like, why would but you do that? I think it is kind of neat. And I've always... I never, I've never done it, but I always thought it was neat that to put a note in a bottle and throw it in the ocean or something and throw it in a river somewhere and see what happens, where it goes. You know, it's... Or people do it with balloons, Mike... Mm-hmm. wouldn't like that. Another balloon on Point Pele. Oh, yeah, because that's where they all end up, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, people do put notes tied from balloons and see where they land. and So it's interesting, right? It's uh, it's an interesting aspect of what would you, what would you call it? Be a social engineering experiment or a social I, – I, I can't put the words together, but, yeah, something like that. It's uh, So it's just interesting to – 
you know, you, you hear about, hear about people like, stealing their neighbor's gnome, going on some vacation, and it's like, there's your there's, taking pictures of the yeah, gnome. The gnome is in Paris on the or in the Louvre, in, yeah, up on the Eiffel Tower, mm-hmm. and this, that, the other thing. And then the gnome comes back with a bag full of pictures, and <laughs> or somebody steals where it's been. I've heard people stealing staplers from work, where it says property of barb and uh next thing you know somebody's like going to hawaii and whatever and you have every picture they're holding up barb stapler (laughs) (laughs) you know you hear stuff like that so it's just interesting these social experiments that you can do with the and you know transporting something somewheres i am not a massive basketball fan no but one of the guys i used to work with was huge basketball fan so we were heading down to um new england around Halloween one year. And Springfield? Was where, where the, the basketball? No, the, the Basketball Hall of Fame is there. Oh, okay. England so or something? I, or I went up to the sign, took a picture of me in front of the Basketball Hall of Fame sign, and then got it developed. And when he, I got back from holidays, when, before he got into work, I put a picture of me in front of the Basketball Hall of Fame right on his desk. <laughs> <laughs> Springfield, Massachusetts. That's it. And he says, how was it? He says, don't know. Didn't go in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just did it right. <laughs> just, just looking at me like, ah, you know, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> I knew you liked the place. Why do you take a picture? Yeah. You know, a couple of big I, thumbs up. Yeah, I didn't care enough to go inside. I just want yeah. you to see the picture of me on the outside. Yeah, I just want to know <laughs> I was there. I could have gone in if I wanted to, but I didn't. Oh, hear <laughs> me. Um, let's talk about some. Uh, one, okay, we're, apparently we're going to talk about a few records this evening. Oh, nice. There's a Duluth man, Mike Ward. Completed a 250-mile traverse of the Boundary Water Canoe Area Wilderness from near International Falls, Minnesota, eastward to Lake Superior via the Grand Portage. Or is it Portage? The Grand Portage, Well, uh, if he's in the States, then I guess it's a portage. Five days, 10 hours, and 31 minutes. He started at Shaw Shaw Resort outside of the International Falls on the western edge of Voyageurs National Park on Sunday, September 4th. Paddled an average 42 miles per day. Hmm. Huh. Uh, when did it, in September? Uh, shorter days, too. I would figure he would have done that in Was that June. Recently? Longer. Was yeah. That like this year? Yeah. Why on a stand-up paddleboard? I don't know, because maybe he doesn't own a canoe. Hmm. Anyway, 42, day, 42 miles per day along the border of the U.S. and Canada for six days finishing with a 12-mile trip on the Pigeon River and an eight-and-a-half-mile trail hike on the Grand Portage Trail by Friday, September 10th. Best time, uh, sorry, this time beat the existing stand-up paddleboard record. <laughs> the previous record? By 18 hours. Who's doing this stuff? Not me. <laughs> he used a 14-foot racing-style stand-up paddleboard along with lightweight camping gear and food to make the traverse. To train, he paddled on Lake Superior, portaging his gear from East Hillside Duluth home to Leaf Erickson Park. Ward also raced in two paddling events and made two shorter stimulation trips in the BWCA over the summer. Huh. So if you want to train for something like this, yeah. there are some hints, buddy. <clears throat> oh, you also have to get yourself a paddleboard. Too. Yes. Yeah. Route taken known as the Border Route or Kruger Waddell Challenge is a historic indigenous travel corridor used for centuries and a well traveled fur trading route for voyagers transporting furs from the North American wilderness. In the modern day, a paddling team consisting of Verlin Kruger, uh, we hear about a lot about him when we're at the Quiet Adventure Symposium. Yeah, he's something I recognize that. Yeah. Uh, and Clint Waddell found a record of historic speed attempt by a fur trader, Sir George Simpson. Uh, and recreated the route in the 70s. Since then, many records on the same course have been set and broken by solo canoe paddlers, tandem canoe teams, stand-up paddleboarders, you name it. Canoe records are much faster than stand-up paddleboard, with most solo and team records under 70 hours. That sounds like a Brent Run. (laughs) Yes, I know, right? Because Brent Run is usually 40 hours or less. 
Ah, sounds pretty cool. It does. It's just... <clears throat> I mean, you're not doing it for fame and fortune. No, you're here. just doing it. It's, it's just, hey, uh, let's Fun do it, right? Fun thing to do. Yeah. Right? Unless people are paying for this sort it seems of thing, more, then I'm... It seems like a more complicated and not very relaxed trip if, by doing a... On a stand-up paddleboard. Yeah. I wonder if he, like, knelt down or sat down at times. Yeah, sat on his pack. Two miles a day? It's <laughs> a lot. I'm not standing for... 42 miles a day. You couldn't. No. Your knees would give out. Those are the next things to go after your shoulder <laughs> My knees your are head. still pretty good. Yeah, not for long. It's my shoulders. Uh, it's your Achilles <laughs> tendon. <laughs> Way to go, Mike Ward. <laughs> now we'll see how long it takes somebody to go, ha if he did that next summer, watch out. Because the floodgates are opening now. Do you like dinosaurs? Well, I'm aware of them. Best invention ever by sci- modern scientists. Dinosaurs? <laughs> Some people don't believe in them. They're a myth? <laughs> yes. Scientists planted those bones everywhere. Yes. They all got together and said, when no one's looking, let's yeah. plant all these bones. <laughs> We've been to the um, Royal Tyrell Dinosaur Museum. Oh, that's Alberta. Yep. I've we saw fossilized. I've been poop. through Alberta a few times, but I've never stopped. I really should have. You see, we drove across the country. I've probably driven across Canada thirty times in my lifetime. Thirty? Wow! Well, my dad was in the Air Force, right? We always I've moved done across. It. Plus, all our family was One, two, just out this way. Three, four, five times. That's it? it. Yeah, slacker. <laughs> but when we traveled, it was always point A to point B. <laughs> yes. Right. And that's what mine was too. We, there was there was no lele leg. There was no point A B C D E mm-hmm. F G H A A A B A C A T. Wow. I stopped when I had to sleep. Well, we, that's we would drive all day, hit a hotel, sleep, get up early, mm-hmm. fill up with gas, get breakfast, drive all day, find a hotel. Mm-hmm. There's no extra, yeah. except Winnipeg. Winnipeg used to have, I think it was Wednesdays or Thursday was free zoo day. So we would, uh, you know, stop there sort of thing. But when we went out for my brother's wedding to Calgary, I was driving this grand caravan yeah. thingy with people. And when I saw things that I thought were interesting, don't give me control of the vehicle. <laughs> we saw a cash giant hockey skit. We saw, yeah. Is that a giant ball of yarn only two miles this way? Is there actually a giant ball of yarn or is that just a Simpsons thing? There are so many giant this is and that's. My, giant Starship Enterprise, giant Easter egg out. Uh, my grandpa built yeah. a giant paddle. He's got the giant paddle. I saw pictures of the paddle. I've been to Very, the paddle. I've seen it. Have I've you? I've touched it. I touched it. It's huge. It is. Oh, and it's got a said. time capsule in it. Yeah. Yeah. They put stuff in there. So yeah. at some point in it's very 100 impressive. years from now. They very can, impressive. It's huge. Yep. So we stopped at the Royal Tyrell Museum, even though it was way out of the way. And if you've never gone to a place like that and seen all the different types of dinosaurs and fossils and stuff, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's trails that you can go walking. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right? And you might luck into actually seeing something okay anyway the reason i asked (laughs) 20 minutes ago (laughs) rafting or boating was how a lot of fossil prospecting was done back in the day vincent doyle points to the banks of the wapiti river near grand prairie alberta and says Oh, okay. I was wondering how this came into play because it's like, are the fossils floating? Maybe. We try to get outside the walls of the museum. He's a program manager at the Philip J. Curry Dinosaur Museum based in Wembley, town 25 kilometers west of Grand Prairie. This summer, museum staff took visitors on a new rafting tour in search of dinosaur fossils. Huh. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Right? It's not like whitewater rafting, more like a float. It's called the Secrets of the Wapiti uh, River. Wapiti, that's a name for elk, isn't elk. it? Yeah. 
Paleontologists guide patrons by raft on a journey lasting three to five hours. They point out interesting finds, answer questions, and finish with a late lunch at the nearby Nighthawk Adventure Park. Woot woot. Doyle says the first season is now <laughs> wrapped up and about 250 people took part. Nice. So a nice day floating down the river in a raft and checking yeah. stuff out, right? Museum expects to double the number of participants for the $150 experience. Per person? From mid-June to August. Yeah. So like $600 for a family of four, baby. See, that's that's one thing. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I, I It's not a complaint. Buy three, get one free. <clears throat> yeah, I know. It's not a complaint. It's just like doing stuff with kids it's just astronomical. It's like, oh, I'm going to yeah. go do this. Oh, I'd have to buy four plane tickets, or I'd have to buy four seats, or I have to buy four of this, or or you got to duct tape them and hang them in the closet till you get yeah. back. <laughs> Hope they don't break free. Yeah. <laughs> Let the dog watch them. You know, hey, Grandma, do you love your grandkids? <laughs> yeah. I got a bargain for yes. you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let you yeah. watch the kids for <laughs> a week. Now, how much would you pay? <laughs> Rafting or boating was how a lot of fossil prospecting was done back in the day. Uh, Emily Bramforth, the museum curator, said paleontologists floated down rivers, and when they found exposures, that's where they would start looking for bones. Experience like rafting tour allowed people to get a taste of discovery as well as a glimpse into a painstaking steps involved in getting a specimen out of the ground and on display. So I got to think they stop at certain spots. That known spots. And, yeah, and, and check stuff out or places where there's digs yeah. going on currently just to get a, exactly. a view. Exactly, because the last thing you want to do, do is like, here, you want to look at some gravel? Oh, here's some dirt. Yeah. You're hoping, you're expecting to find some. Just like with uh, whale watching, you go out somewhere and it's like, well, hey, nice water. Yeah. So you you go out there where you expect to see whales surfacing and stuff like that. And not so, just the lady leaning over the back of the boat throwing up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Feeding the fish, as we said. Mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely critical, she says, when people go to a museum, what you see is the product of paleontology. The Pipestone Creek bone bed is one of the richest deposits of Pachyrhinosaurus. Pachyrhinosaurus. It's got to be rhinosaurus, not rhinoceros, because it's spelled different. Yeah, I think it's rhinosaurus. Pachyrhinosaurus. Bones in North America. This summer, her team unearthed surprises, including a juvenile hip bone of one of these pachyrhinosaurus, along with some vertebrae, ribs, and foot bones. I'm wondering if that's with a group or just on their own. Hmm. Museum Executive Director Lyndon Roberts said the two biggest challenges the museum faces in attracting visitors are awareness and location. Wembley is about 480 kilometers northwest North of Edmonton. Of Edmonton. North going up there. We're here because Pipestone Creek bone bed is increasingly... But increasingly, we're, we're here because of all the recent finds which go beyond Pipestone, and they're unique to Canada and impressive. Huh. She believes the rafting tours will drive a lot of people to the area next summer. 150 bucks a person. Um, it's truly enjoyable. It's, it's really resonated with the community, and I think it's our first step in being able to promote the museum and the region as a multi-day tourist experience. Mm -hmm. It's kind of remote. Multi-day yeah. sleep with the bones. <laughs> so just, like, just like you take kids sleep at the zoo sleep or the, sleep with the fishes <laughs> sleep in the science center and, yeah <laughs> yeah that'd be awesome eh <laughs> hey I'm sleep with some dead giant reptiles see I, I know Beckett would enjoy that he uh they, they he loves doing stuff like that if it has to do with dinosaurs or rocks or whatever and he's a nine year old he enjoys this kind of things so yeah. if we were out there, we definitely would have to stop in for Beckett. Well, and that's the thing is if you're going to be out that way. Yeah. You're not going to go out there. I don't think I'd go all the way out there just for this. Yeah. Why don't you take five days, <laughs> drive all the way there so you can have a four-hour float down the river in a raft. <laughs> yeah. Not going to happen. And then five days yeah. back. But if I was out that direction already, yeah. it definitely if would If you happen. were in Edmonton or mm -hmm. in Jasper yeah. or... Something like that, you know. Yeah. Definitely. It, it would totally be for Beckett, not for me. <laughs> you lie like a cheap rug. <laughs> it would be so interesting. It is. Think? 
Well, that's, uh, I used to take Mackenzie uh, rock collecting on mm-hmm. Bancroft. Yeah. Yeah. You get the hammers and the chisels and you're chiseling stuff and you're pointing to him where to do it. And then, you know, and the minute he can't do it, yeah. you hear, give me that chisel and hammer and you couple of big wax yeah, yeah, yeah. and the big crystal yeah. comes out sort of thing and you're like that's the way to do it yeah. right yeah just kids at heart so yeah if you're you're up that way check it out mm-hmm. north west of edmonton 480 kilometers northwest north northwest that's in the foothills yeah that's way well, up there see that's where you see all these things are in the foothills and stuff like that mm-hmm. in the badlands mm-hmm Dinosaurs couldn't escape that. <laughs> well, they I'm couldn't a, do hills. They looked very different back then. No, <laughs> <laughs> only a few million years. There's uh, a, <laughs> you know, there's uh, the it's called Mistaken Point. It's on the very southeast corner of Newfoundland, and so Mistaken Point has been. It's a it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So they have found some of the oldest fossils no they found the oldest fossils ever found on the planet really at that point and uh like we're talking like five six hundred million years ago like even before the like even before like bones existed in animals is like these are living creatures but they were just whatever and so they were found 30 years ago or something there's so many jokes right there before bones were found in animals, these bones existed. <laughs> no, Wait no, a minute. these fossils. Because so, so they were boneless fossils. It was just like the, it was like creature that looked somewhat like a leaf. And oh, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I thought you were thinking bones. Well, wait a minute. No, no, no. It was like fossilized <laughs> creatures, right? Okay. So it was the first, some of the first living creatures on the planet, but it was like five or six hundred million years ago. Yeah. So that's uh, that's insane. What was it? Woolly mammoths. Was it woolly mammoths were still alive when the pyramids were built? Yes. I read that. Like you, you're thinking, two weeks ago, I read about that. Yeah, you're thinking yeah. of, um, you know, that woolly mammoths yeah. died out millions of years. No. No. No, they didn't. 20,000 years ago, or no, no, not even. it was, yeah, not even 3,000 years ago. So there's uh, evidence of woolly mammoths in Alaska. Mm hmm. And Texas, and so on. So, and some of these fossils, fossil, and so they found, they found not fossils. They found frozen, preserved woolly mammoth babies and adults in Siberia. And so these are frozen in the permafrost. So mm-hmm. it's and they're not that old. And so they're able to pull DNA. And like the, they said that it's like the flesh is still viable. Whatever it's it's not rotted because it's been frozen. They found that. I guess they were calling it a wolf dog. Oh, in in this Siberia. is just recently, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's yeah, it, it froze to death. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it it looks like it's yeah still. Not yeah. that old. And just think, it was, uh, what was it, uh, Encino Man? It just takes a little bit of electricity, oh, a little yeah. short circuit. <laughs> we could have ourselves a wolf dog <laughs> and a woolly mammoth. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of lightning. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be awesome. I, I've been on a kick lately with uh, Brendan Fraser uh, movies. Oh, he's got that new one out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, What's it called? Charlie or something? or Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, they're they're saying it's going to be between him and somebody else for best. Oh yeah, actor at the Oscar. Oh yeah, I liked him in Blast from the Past, and Cena Man was good. That was pretty cool. Plus all the uh, 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 the Mummy ones. Yeah. Anyway, anywho, uh, another world record. Let's talk about this one. Dale Sanders. Also known as Greybeard Adventurer. I think we mentioned him last week. He's an uh, avid outdoorsman all his adult life. On his 87th birthday, he started paddling to take on the entire length of the Mississippi River in hopes to break the world record as the oldest person to make the 2,340-mile trek. Again. Again. He held the record once. And then somebody broke his record. So, <laughs> so he's like, he says, I'm not having any I'll of that. I'll have you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Starting at the headwaters of the Mississippi in Itasca State Park, he loaded his kayak and started paddling. A couple days later, he stopped to take a picture with Paul and Babe, be Paul Bunyan and his ox Babe, before arriving at Cass Lake, where Sanders said one of the hardest parts of the journey was over. This is not a new experience for Sanders, as he held the record for the oldest person to complete the Mississippi River Source to Sea Challenge from 2015 to 2020, breaking the record at 80 years old in 80 days. Hmm. Hmm. With age records, there is no limit for time. I think that's why he did it over five years. Okay. In his kayak, with the word perseverance painted on the side, he hoped to conquer the Mississippi in 87 days, needing to average about 30 miles a day to snag the record back from current record holder Stan Stark, who stole his record after making the trek last year at age 81. Mm -hmm. Wow. Way to go, Stan Stark. My challenge, if successful, will add six years to the current age record. I believe Stan will try to break my new record when he turns <laughs> 87. We are good friends, and I believe others will benefit through the examples Stan and I have set. Wow. That's cool that they're friends about it, right? Mm -hmm. Play off. I'm sure they have a good giggle about stuff. According to Sanders, people ask him one question over all others. Why are you doing this? Since I turned 80, I have had the desire to use adventure like the Mississippi River Paddle to keep myself in good condition at an old age. Because when you look at him, you maybe think he's in his 70s. Okay. But, I mean, he's almost 90. Good genetics. Mm-hmm. I've had the desire to use adventure like the Mississippi Paddle to keep myself in good condition at an old age. And, of course, to get my record back. The thing that motivates him the <laughs> most, though is the impact he leaves on other people. I almost cry just talking about it, but the thing that keeps me going is the many people that tell me I want to be just like you when I get old or you inspire me to grow old. Hmm. You I don't think anybody would inspire me to grow old. <laughs> but it's like a double-edged sword. Hey, I can't wait to be as old as you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I was like, wait is a second. Is that one of those backhanded, <laughs> yeah, com no. positive comments with it? <laughs> A backhanded compliment. <laughs> the influence on not only the old, but all ages is just unbelievable. It's the reason why I'm doing this, Sanders continues. I know that my heart, that I need to do things like this to inspire and help people. Back in 2015, when he set out to paddle the Mississippi, at times treacherous current like the first time, besides setting the record, he was also on a mission to raise money for juvenile diabetes in honor of his grandniece who has type 2 diabetes. Instead of raising money for diabetes this time around, he has a camera crew following him, filming Greybeard, the documentary. Huh. A film that will follow him on the record-setting journey while going into depth on his accomplishments, his downfalls, and his ability to stay optimistic and agile. Uh, he was accompanied, accompanied by the documentary film crew and several other experienced paddlers, including Dan Frost and Matt Briggs, with his river dog named Meadow. Only one moment in his entire 87 years of life where Sanders thought about giving up on a different mission set to... To, to set the oldest age record to hike the 2,190-mile Appalachian Trail. Oh. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> he said he stared defeat into the eyes. He had never backed down or quit anything in his life. During the 10-month hike, <laughs> a whole slew of things went wrong, including his van breaking down, dealing with some serious health concerns. Well, I had a van? That's not hiking. I don't know, maybe he his, hiked and stayed in his van. Yeah, or somebody, maybe. Somebody drove it and met him up yeah. each night. Uh, he packed up his car to give up and go home, but he called his wife and she convinced him to keep going after being cleared by his doctor. So many things went wrong. I packed up all my things, called my wife and told her I was on my way home. She said to me, you will never forgive yourself if you quit. I got my groove back because of her and the next day I was hiking on the trail. So they've been married 43 years 
and one of his first big adventures was backpacking around the world with her by his side shortly after they were married. She saw what these adventures were doing to my life and other people's lives. She was re- has really supported me with this. October 2017, Sanders had another record under his belt, becoming the oldest person to hike the Appalachian Trail at 82 years of age. Wow. So the Mississippi, the Appalachian Trail, mm-hmm. the Mississippi again, because, you know, Stan Stark. <laughs> That's insane. Um, yeah, they say his love for adventure started when he was a child growing up on the banks of Whippoorwill Creek in Lickskillet, Kentucky. His earliest memories were spent on the water. His thirst for adventure was never quenched as it continued to grow in his 20s when he decided to enlist in the U.S. Navy in 58, spent 37 years as a hospital corpsman, a hard hat sea diver, and serving with the U.S. Marine Corps in Okinawa, Japan, where he was put in charge of the 3rd Marine Division's sport diving program. Wow. His time in the military brought him to discover a newfound passion for spearfishing. By his mid-twenties, well, he's into everything here. Right? I know. Mid-twenties, he was nationally acknowledged through competitive sports such as swimming, diving, and spearfishing. A short list of his recognitions at the time were Central California Diver of the Year, California, Oregon Spearfishing Champion, and Spearfishing Athlete of the Year for the United States, which I didn't realize that was a thing. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I feel like a, a massive underachiever. Right now, I tell you. <laughs> he didn't stop there. Of course not. As he went on to his professional career in parks and recreation for nearly six decades. Wow. Until retiring. Okay, wait a minute. 37 years plus 60. I put him at 97. <laughs> right? There's some math here. That's- There's some math that's just not jiving. Uh, he didn't stop there in his <laughs> six decades until retiring in 2002 to be a full-time adventurer. A few years after conquering the mountainous Appalachian Trail in 2020, he attempted to break the record for being the oldest person to compete, complete the Grand Canyon Rim-to-Rim-to-Rim hike. On October 10th, my birthday, 2020, <laughs> he broke the old Guinness World Book record at age 85. And that was the easiest world record I've ever got, he says. Wow. So he's... The the dates... Yeah, he's 87 now, right? Is he 87 now? Or he was 87 when he did the Mississippi River world record? Oh, he started when he was 87 (coughs) to get it again. I inhaled liquid. <coughs> yeah, so he's eighty. Yeah, so he is eighty-seven now. <coughs> is that that beer still getting? You? <coughs> yep. Yeah, don't drink old speckled hen. It, it tries, <coughs> it tries to kill you. Yes, yeah, my it's lungs. It's that hen trying to get in. <coughs> it's the feathers. It's in my lungs. So yeah, he's eighty-seven now. So wowzers, wow. wowzers, eh? <coughs> See, if you didn't think you were so old, I know you could be used doing stuff like this. I can't even drink liquids. And- <laughs> what this guy's doing? <laughs> Concussions, sore shoulders. I know. Death, <clears throat> Achilles tendons. <laughs> You're breaking apart. I am. We can rebuild them. <laughs> uh, way to go, Dale Sanders. I'm sure that's not the last we'll hear from him either. No. No. What is the rim to rim to rim? I got to look that one up. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the brand newest record, ah oh, yes, uh, well, it's not a record though. No, no it's he didn't an achievement. The record, but achievement. We talked about Cyril Deramo, uh paddling from Monterey, California to <clears throat> Hawaii. Yeah, he paddled out from. Didn't he leave San Francisco? Monterey Bay, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. San Francisco. So started June two thousand twenty-two. Back in June. He had planned to kayak across the 2,400 nautical miles of the mid-Pacific Ocean from California to Hawaii. That was the plan. Uh, as we know, he tried it last year, and because of heavy uh, winds, heavy and winds, waves, a couple of um, equipment malfunctions, uh, he, he didn't do that. 
100% human-powered, paddling a custom single-man kayak starting from Monterey, California. He was completely self-supported, carrying all his necessary gear, food, and necessities to make the trek. He had hopes of accomplishing the feat in 70 days, setting the record for the fastest human-powered kayak crossing. Keep in mind, his kayak is not a regular type kayak, Mm -hmm. right? It's one of those specialty ones with front hatch that you can slide into and sleep. Close this, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, was, uh, he got in on Tuesday and I saw him, it was a meet and greet on shore when he got pulled ashore and, and you couldn't see the woman, but you heard her in the background. She goes, oh my God, it's like a coffin. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh, that sounds horrible. (laughs) So it had been fully customized for a specific target of crossing the mid-Pacific and he self-sustained in energy, food, and water for 70 days. He had wanted to make the trek in, because, and I can't remember the guy's name, he did it in 80 days. Yes. 80, 90 days, 980 days. But he actually did it in a like what we would think of as a sea kayak. June 21st, 2022 was day one. September 20th, 2022, day 92. Mm-hmm. So he didn't quite make it in the 70 <clears> days. <throat> he didn't do it as fast as he wanted, but, but still. he did it this, this year. This is quite the achievement. It is. Remarkable accomplishment. Nothing to 92 at. days alone. Yeah. Uh, after a while, you don't see ship traffic or birds know, right? or in anything. The middle of nowhere. Just, you got to think the thoughts that start going through your brain and, and stuff like that. Birds and the fish talking to you. Yeah. Dealing with weather on your own, wind, waves, storms, sun, hot sun, cold with cooler days and evenings, laundry, shower day, uh, repairs he had to do because there's a couple times he had to do repairs. So if they, I'll give you the, the thing in a minute. There's a tracker and beside the tracker on his, his website... There's all these little comments he made via InReach. Oh, okay. For all, mm-hmm. like from day one, saw all flying the way fish or saw so a whale. So day 45, or... just saw a pair of <clears throat> flying fish fly about 30 meters. Do they actually hold their breath while they fly? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> day 72, saw some kind of tuna fish jumping in the air. A school of 20 to 30 flying fish escaping a predator. A new bird, two dolphins. Then late afternoon, 100 to 150 flying fish at the same time. Wow. That was one day. Hmm. So it'll be a group of, is it still a school if they're in the air? Flying school. <laughs> flying school. <laughs> <laughs> they're all in flying school. Thank you. I'm here till Friday. <laughs> Try the veal. Dip your waiter. <laughs> um, the one that gets me. Today is 70 days. Uh, Today, it is 70 days ago that I left Monterey. That's also the amount of days I thought it would take me to cross to Hawaii. It will take me another three weeks. Isn't that in itself one of the major components of adventure? Uncertainty? Unknowns that need you to adapt and create and improve and modify and learn. Other words that come to mind when I try to define what adventure is, new, exciting, out of the box, new boundaries, fantastic, fun, unpredictable, powerful, future souvenirs. I could go on and Hmm. on. I like to say life is an adventure. Live it. Reading the above, why wouldn't you? Life should be a collection of new adventures one after another. Hmm. So as, as disappointed as he probably was at not making it in 70 days. He still made it. On day 70, yeah. when he thought he was going to break that record, he's not depressed or down in the dump. He's nope. saying, you know what? This is what it's all about, mm-hmm. which is really cool to see that. Um, they, I mean, they knew because they were tracking him and stuff when he was going to be making landfall. And he was greeted by some kayakers. They put out a thing on Facebook saying, hey, yeah. if you're in coming the area, in. he's the coming ETA. in. So... You know, it's not a sanctioned event, so make sure you know what you're doing when you're out there paddling. But there was a couple of kayaks out there. There was a couple of motorboats uh, 
with family and friends and stuff and that were out there to say, hey, you made it and that sort of thing. And then, yeah, there was a meet and greet thing on the uh, the pier. They Somebody handed him a burger with fries. And he's just looking at it like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that'll probably make him champagne sick. and a couple of beers and... Uh, but after ninety days of not, of eating, like, I know, but that's heavy food foods. for for what his belly was used to. And like yeah. that might actually make him sick, probably. <laughs> but I'd take it. <laughs> <laughs> all in all, absolutely great accomplishment. Congrats, Cyril. Uh, if you go to solo kayak to hawaii dot com backslash tracker, there's a map there that shows his route. And there's little, the little comments that he made on the one side of it. You can click on it and it'll open up into the full comments that he made uh, along the one side. So you can go through all 90 days and read everything he said every day and, and stuff like that. Just to, you know, you can sort of get a glimpse of what was going through his brain at the time and what he was doing. And, you know, saying things like uh, up at 6.30, um, get dressed and... Grab your water bottle and your food. Get out of the hatch into the cockpit area. Close the hatch. Get rid of any water that's settled in over the night. Have my breakfast and uh, start paddling about noonish. Goes, you know, stops paddling. Goes into the hatch. Gets lunch. Has a snooze or something. And then at a certain time, his alarm goes off and back out to paddle till six thirty. So he gets these routines going, you know, he'll get up in like really bad weather so he won't paddle or he checks the sea anchors that he's got and it's, you know, guiding him along nicely. But if you read all those comments, he just describes mm-hmm. different things that are that are going on each day as it happened. And he and they're all there that you can read them all. And like I say, there, there's the big map. You can see his track and where he went and there's the dotted line. That's the proposed route. Yeah, I'm looking at that and now. He uh, zigzagged off of it a couple of times or drifted during the night and then had to make up yeah. the distance and, and stuff like that. So pretty cool. Solo kayak to Hawaii.com backslash tracker. There's also a menu bar at the top that you can uh, check out uh, other things that he's uh, done and, and different things about the trip and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, congrats, Cyril. Uh, great job. Uh, I just got one more thing here, and you brought this one to my attention. Patagonia, big, big company. The big outdoor uh, clothing company. Yvonne Schwinnard, <clears throat> he founded Patagonia back in the day. Uh, he used to, took his love for rock climbing um, and turned it into the one of the most successful sportswear brands. And he's made tons of money and blah, blah, blah. He is giving the entire company to a uniquely structured trust and nonprofit designed to pump all the company's profits into saving the planet. As of now, Earth is our only shareholder, the company announced. All profits in perpetuity will go to our mission to save our home planet. That's pretty incredible. Isn't it? That's quite the donation. Schoenard's 83. Worked with his wife and two children as well as teams of of companies' lawyers to create a structure that will allow Patagonia to continue to operate as a for-profit company whose proceeds will go to benefit environmental efforts. It says, if we have any hope of thriving planet, much less a thriving business 50 years from now, it is going to take all of us doing what we can with the resources we have, said Schwinnard. This is another way we found to do our part. So the family has donated 2% of all stock and all decision-making authority to a trust, which will oversee the company's mission and values. The other 98% of the company's stock will go to a nonprofit called Hold Fast Collective, which will use every dollar received to fight the environmental crisis, protect nature and biodiversity, and support thriving communities as quickly as possible. Each year, the money Patagonia makes after reinvesting in the business will be distributed to the nonprofit to help fight environmental crisis. 
That's uh, that's a genius way to set it up. That's, that's weird, but it, it is like weird. But yeah, so so it's basically. I think they're going to be minorly involved, but basically, this decision making authority, which is going to basically survive off two percent of stock, will um, they're going to help control and move the company forward, just as a. Uh, so it's still going to be for profit, but mm-hmm. all all income is going to go to saving the planet and and combating uh, uh, climate change. Well, as you said earlier, somebody's uh, putting their money where their mouth is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. Instead of going public, you can say we're going to we're we're, we're going, going purpose. purpose. Instead of extracting value from nature and transforming it into wealth for investors. We'll use the wealth Patagonia creates to protect the source of all wealth. There you go. Uh, instead of exploiting natural resources to make shareholder returns, we are turning shareholder capitalism on its head by making the earth our only shareholder. Schwinnard and Patagonia have long been groundbreakers in environmental activism and employee benefits. In its nearly 50 years of operation, the Ventura, California-based company has been known for its extensive benefits for employees, including on-site nurseries and afternoons off on good surf days. <laughs> I mean, I should just leave this article on my boss's desk. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's a good canoeing day. Oh, I'm Audi. <laughs> Uh, in the 80s, the company began donating 1% of its sales to environmental groups, a program formalized in 2001 as the 1% for the Planet Scheme. The program has resulted in $140 million in donations for preservation and restoration of the natural environment, according to the company. Patagonia was one of the earliest companies to become a B Corp. Huh? Which I've never, I guess, a billion-dollar corporation, I guess. Hmm. Uh, submitting to certification as meeting certain environmental and social standards. And recently it changed its mission to state, we're in business to save our home planet. Yeah, I've never heard of B Corp before. Schonard, the famously eccentric entrepreneur who started his business fashioning metal climbing pitons and lived out of his van at climbing destinations for many years, was horrified to be seen as a billionaire. He told the New York Times, I was in Forbes magazine listed as a billionaire, which really, really pissed me off. I don't have a billion dollars in the bank, and I don't drive Lexuses. 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 The Schoenard family are at the forefront of charitable giving and philanthropy. So you want to know what the B Corps is? Yeah, what's a B Corps? So a B Corps, it's a business that acts in ways that benefits society as a whole. What defines them is their belief that the purpose of a company is not just profits, but also social and environmental good. The B Corp certification is a designation that a business is meeting high standards of verified performance, accountability, transparency on factors from employee benefits, charitable giving, and supply chain practices and, and input materials. There you go. Huh. They're for the greater good and not for simple profit. That's sort of like Star Trek-ish. And, and you have to go through a process to become certified as a B Corp corporation. I would imagine. You can't just declare yourself that. You have to go through a certification process and you get a stamp or a tattoo or something. I don't know. Good old thumbs up. <laughs> a little statue. Yeah. Oh, cool. that's pretty cool. That's that's cool to hear. Yeah. Like you say, somebody's putting their uh, money where their money mouth where is. Their mouth is. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be a lot of money. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be done. Got to start somewhere. Very cool. Good for him. Yeah. Good for awesome. his family, his whole family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you got to think, he's, oh, he's off his rocker. Yeah. That's going to take <laughs> him to court dad's and going get crazy. attorney of a power of attorney. Where's my his... billions of dollars, daddy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, still, the amount of, the amount of money they've got. Yeah. Already. So, yeah, they've, they've got How a much lot of... more do you need that you're going to... Correct. Gonna, Correct. You know? Yeah. So, do some good while, while you can. Mm-hmm. I've always said, like... You know, like if you win, and this always comes up when oh, 50, $50 million in the lottery this week. If I win $50 million, what am I going to do? And one of the things I always thought I would do is buy a water bomber. Okay. Because of all the forest fires, right? And just say, you know what? I'm going to rent out my water bomber. You just pay for the gas. 
and you can use my water bomber to for, fight forest fires. Mm-hmm. But I get to go with you. <laughs> you pay I'm for going. gas. I get to go with. So there's they give some examples of B corps. So Patagonia obviously is one of them. Mm-hmm. But Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Uh, there's a couple I don't recognize. Warby Parker, The Guardian, which is I think a newspaper. Kickstarter, Allbirds, Lemonade, whatever company that is. Huh. Oh, Lemonade Insurance. Ah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, at least there's more than just one. There's uh, there's uh, planet-wide, there's about 3,500 companies that are uh, branded as B Corp. Really? Mm-hmm. Never heard of that before. I know. There's quite a few. Oh, now we're going to have to learn stuff. Because you know we're Googling that. So more than 100,000 businesses have signed up to become a B Corp, but only 3,500 have made the grade. Hmm. But you have to reinvest. You're reinvesting in the planet and your employees and yep. and how you do business and practices. And Interesting. Afternoons off for good surf days. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> way to do it. I know. <laughs> awesome. Uh, you got anything else? I do not. That was all I had. I'm going to go surfing now. <laughs> I can't. My shoulder's sore. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm dizzy. And my ankle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my knees are weak. Oh. <laughs> I think my belt's too tight. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd. All righty. Well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites, because apparently we're everywhere. Apparently. You can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com, and you can stream or download all our episodes there. If you're at paddlingadventuresradio.com, check out our merch store by hitting the big round button on the main page. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with family and friends and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>